The Ford Motor Company is completely changing the way it develops new cars and trucks. They call it EPLM, or Enterprise Product Line Management. Ford is also using what it calls customer-centric design. But what does it all mean? On this week's show, Jim Bombick, the vice president of EPLM at Ford, explains what it's all about and why it could transform the automaker. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, Audit, Tax and Consulting for the Middle Market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today we're going to be talking about a new product development process at the Ford Motor Company. They call it EPLM, Enterprise Product Line Management. What the heck does that mean? Well, we're going to find out because the executive in charge of doing all that is with us here today. Jim Bombeck is the vice president of EPLM and product strategy, and I think a few more things, but... I think the audience gets the idea of it. And Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Also joining us on the, uh, the journalist panel today, Mike Martinez from Automotive News and Stephanie Brinley from IHS Market. Good to have you guys here, too. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Yeah. So let's dive into this, Jim. EPLM, in a nutshell, what is that? In a nutshell, it's about putting customers at the center of everything we do. And from a business perspective, it's thinking about our vehicle lines as businesses. So in essence, uh, we want to make sure all of our decisions are focused on winning with customers in the marketplace, and that'll turn into a very prosperous business. Okay, I got to believe from the days of the Model T, Henry Ford was focused on the customer. What are you doing differently in that regard? we're, We're using a lot of different techniques and tools to actually understand customers, but As you think about the competitive landscape, the difference between vehicles and traditional attributes are getting smaller and smaller. The way we're going to differentiate products in the future are through experiences and better and deeper understanding of customers. So we use a lot of different tools, things like deep study, ethnography, uh, prototyping and testing. So thinking about the product development process very early where we're co-creating with customers getting feedback from them uh, and providing additional insight as to what really is driving, A, their emotions and satisfying their needs, right? Product development, one of the the challenges has always been how do you deliver what the customer doesn't know that they need and what they don't know that they want. So what about the process is helping you tease that out of of the consumer? Yeah, this is a really interesting space. So um, back to this fast cycle iteration. Early on in the process, before you spend a lot of money investing in, you know, very significant or expensive prototypes, putting concepts in front of customers, getting a read or a bounce, uh, how do they react to certain things? Mm -hmm. Um, As we embarked on this journey, we started thinking about uh, how would you do some things that you knew were not the right answer, but they would serve as provocations as a way to understand how the customer might react to a feature, an offering, a different silhouette, And that'll give you some insight, and it always turns into a conversation. So it's really around listening, kind of understanding how they react to certain things and taking that in as additional data 
to turn it into another prototype or another iteration that you try and test again. How do you do that without building expensive prototypes? You could, you could do it with storyboards. Uh, we've done it with cardboard. Uh, we can assess things like uh, what's the trade-off between package space and headroom, mm -hmm. especially if you're looking for a different type of exterior silhouette. There's a, a constant tension in those three different attributes. Uh, you can do something in uh, very simple mock-ups where you can test how much is good enough in terms of headroom, uh, what does that mean in terms of the exterior silhouette, and how does it drive people's uh, kind of view on that product pro proposal and proposition. So you're doing this with scissors and cardboard and tape we've, and do it real quick. We've done it all. And again, when you're very early on, you're in that kind of strategic far time horizon. You're not on a product program timeline, but you're trying to determine what's the play we're going to call, what's the real thing we're going to engineer. That's where you can do these things with much lower fidelity, much quicker. You get that feedback, you try a different iteration, you learn. And you take that learning and turn it into something different, test it again, and then iterate. And then you can actually feed the product development system with much better insight, and that actually will enable speed. So it kind of goes back to the old adage, sometimes it's better to go a little bit slower to go fast later. Is there an example of a product, I know you've been in your role for about a year now, uh, that you've tried this process on and maybe a feature that has changed? Yeah, Mike, that's a, it's a great question. We've been running, we've been beta testing the thinking around this. So our own team medicine, uh, the kind of rethink and the way we're approaching the electrified portfolio really is an enterprise product line team. Uh, Ted Canis has been working with that team to think about how do we show up in a way in the EV space in a way that only Ford Motor Company can. And certainly leading into, for example, our Mustang-inspired product is one way emotionally we can show up in a different way. But then getting much deeper into the product, how do you understand what customers who would consider a battery electric vehicle really, really want? What do they value and what do they not value versus a traditional vehicle? Because there's different constraints. The one I'm really excited about is we, we also beta tested um, this in the white space domain. So how would we evolve our product portfolio? Uh, what we did here is effectively um, started small. Uh, we had a clean sheet of paper. We said, hey, how will we serve customers in a certain area of the marketplace that we knew uh, there was an opportunity? Uh, understanding their needs, testing with customers. We went through three or four, five different iterations in that space. A small team, 15 to 20 people, working for about 12 weeks. We were able to kind of go from a clean sheet of paper to a funded new white space vehicle that will be in production um, by the start of 22 calendar year. Uh, that's really quick. That's really quick, It's yeah. smoking fast from what we have traditionally done. And even more important, uh, we've done ideas like this in the past, but they actually haven't gotten into the plan. And so it, there's a big part of uh, the way we're thinking about this is really thinking about strategy, and strategy is about making choices. So you've got to do some things and you can't do others. And in this case, when we start down the path of something like a white space vehicle, um, we have a clear intention of getting it into the product plan. So we have a funding mechanism and a way to actually make sure it sees production. Uh, and so that was really our real test. At the same time, we also wanted to test all the other things we've been doing through our smart redesign process. Uh, you've heard a lot about fitness. Well, a lot of the things like the modular architecture are items that actually enable speed. So this, this white space vehicle is off of one of our five flexible architectures. And using that, it has, A, a high degree of commonality on parts that customers don't see and touch. It enables speed, so we're not re-engineering every part every time. And then we can focus all of our attention on how do we win with those customers and the things that they really care about. 
And uh, we're seeing things like um, uh, early milestones faster than we've ever uh, gotten to those uh, approvals before. And our goal, and, and we've harvested most of it to date already on that product program, we've talked about time to market faster 20%, uh, and we're well on our way to do that. So this, the new process that, with more sharing and components underneath and knowing what those mechanicals are, do you foresee that helping Ford? One of the things that, that has happened with Ford is there's been a focus on volume product. And, and if it falls beneath this certain, certain, certain threshold, it doesn't get as much attention and it kind of falls away. Will this opportunity create the, the ability to, for, for more low volume products that might hit that emotional spot, yet still be the profitable things that you need them to be? I think uh, flexible architecture uh, absolutely enables that. because. The challenge with getting these lower volume derivatives or uh, products uh, to production is, is the amount of engineering and investment that's required to get it there. And by leveraging uh, a well thought out architecture, uh, you then can, you have to change less to actually create the vehicle uh, proposition. And then you can actually, ch again, channel all the energy where it really matters. So we absolutely will be leveraging these architectures for a higher degree of derivatives uh, and more lower volume opportunities. White space, of course, being a vehicle where Ford is not playing, or hopefully nobody else is playing. I just want to explain that for the audience, right? Yeah, that's this, what you mean by white space. White space. Yeah, this is a product. Uh, a, that doesn't exist in our portfolio. We think it's a uh, an emerging segment and an opportunity to actually really compete in a way that absolutely plays to Ford's strengths. So when you talk about these teams that are doing it, the, this is cross-functional, right? You have people from design and engineering and manufacturing and purchasing and finance and all that together. That's how you really pick up the speed, right? It's the ultimate in a team sport. Uh, I think, you know, in these in large companies like ours, uh, each of the individual teams, each of those skill teams um, have their own perspective. They bring their own skill and discipline to a product program. But at the end of the day, it's around an integrated uh, vehicle that we deliver to customers. And so getting teams together early particularly before we actually start the clock on a product program, to work through a whole wide range of possibilities and do that cross-functionally, you get the formation of a really strong bond of a team. And those that are involved in that thinking, growing on to the next product program, provides this continuity. And this is a really interesting thing. We got, I, when we were designing EPLM, uh, Jim Hackett asked a really interesting question. Uh, he said, you know, before we set up a structure, I want you to go back and look at um, what about some of our very successful products have persisted over a long period of time, regardless of who's in charge or how we're organized. And the amazing part of the story, when you think about it, think of the F-Series, think of the Transit, the Ranger, uh, number two globally, uh, the Explorer, uh, leading SUV in, in the U.S., and the Mustang, all in a number ones. Um, what you find is a very common, consistent set of themes and insights from those uh, businesses. Uh, things like the, the teams have a deep affinity for the customer. They have a really intimate connection. You know, three of those are commercial products. So any, any, every day, every week, we're fighting for business, working with uh, our uh, fleet team, our fleet partners, and uh, businesses to, ha to better serve them. So if we don't quite get a deal or we don't actually transact that with uh, that customer, we, we learn, we get feedback. Uh, Mustang's a great, another great example, right? We, we spend a lot of time with those customers. We understand what they're after. And uh, using that connection, uh, you can actually turn it into new propositions. And in some cases, there's a longer continuity of people, individuals that participate on these teams. So they get the history from 
product line to product line to product line. So now zoom out to what EPLM is. The EPLM is really trying to ensure that over that entire longer time horizon that there's a team uh, that actually is responsible and accountable for that entire time horizon. The cars we're producing today, the product programs that are active, and what's the long-term strategy? What's the beacon? How, mm -hmm. how are customers changing over time so that when we load things into the cycle plan, we're not starting to think about it then. We're actually, we have a plan. Uh, we call the play and we go execute. So in this research that you're doing on your customers, you mentioned Mustang, F-150, and a Lincoln has done a good job of really embedding themselves with uh, potential buyers. What are you learning from them and what exactly are you studying about them to make these decisions? So we're, a, the things that, uh, their behavior, how they use the vehicles, uh, what's important to them in terms of trade-offs, uh, where, uh, as they move through the life stages, how their needs shift. Um, we have a whole host of kind of really interesting insights around, you know, what do people do with vehicles that we can enable if you think of a vehicle as a platform? Uh, not just a, a, a tool or a mode of transport, but how do they actually modify and change their vehicles to actually better suit their lives? There's clues everywhere, you just have to look. And we're spending a lot of time uh, like observing customers, understanding exactly how they evolve and use their own products to tailor make, make them fit for their purpose. Uh, and we want to do that right out of the gates, right? How do we design the product so actually they say, hey, you know, actually they understand me. They understand what I'm doing with the vehicle and, and what my needs are. What are the results so far? I mean, like you said, you, you go a little bit slow to speed it up. Overall, what kind of time are you taking out of the product development process? Uh, in the, the vehicle programs that we've been running this way, um, we're taking 20% out of the, um, the development time, the start to finish. Uh, and we think actually there's more to harvest from there. That's a lot. A lot of time. There used to be a rule of thumb in the industry. I don't know where it applies now, but it went something like for every month you can take out of a program, you can save $10 million. Does that sound right? Uh, I, w I, would, I wouldn't give it exactly the, that transfer function, but uh, I think where the biggest savings is, is um, not just the amount of time uh, in the product program, but it's the changing your mind along the way. And so this is where the power of spending the time early, thinking through exactly what the range of considerations, the possibilities, and thinking about when we're going to call the play, we call the play and we enable the, our amazing engineering team to execute and execute with quality versus doing it while you're on the clock. Because hmm. as you do that, new information is always kind of coming available. And explain what you mean by on the clock, because you're, you're clearly doing work. What, what do you mean that's not on the clock? Yeah, so I mean, when, you, when a pro product program is scheduled for uh, introduction, uh, we have a target date we're trying to actually put it in customers' hands. There's a, a really official start of that product program. There's a lot of, you know, hardwired things that we need to do to ensure we deliver with excellence and quality. So once that starts, you're now down the path of de developing, engineering, testing. You're verifying. spending real money now. Yes. And so the spending on a product program ramps up, as you can imagine, as you get into the heavy lifting of the engineering and the number of people that are actually joining the product program to engineer all the parts and systems in the vehicle. So that early phase is where uh, you can make a lot of choices, but if it's not well thought out and you find something out much later and you make a change, you're impacting a lot of people. And so fundamentally, one of the fitness elements is that we ensure that we have the right cross-functional team spending the time really working through that upfront phase, making a set of choices that, that are gonna stick. 
And when, when those things stick and anchor in, then we can actually focus on the things that we would refine and the smaller level of choices that we make on a development program later on at the appropriate time. Are you finding that putting the, the teams together um, more quickly, um, new insights that you wouldn't have necessarily found before by, by having like finance and marketing in, in very early on, is that collaboration getting to, to new answers? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think what's also important, it's in some cases the fundamentals are great, you know, designing great teams. So being thoughtful around getting everybody there to work together. And I think it's the diversity of thought. Uh, the ideas are always better when you have different points of view and perspectives uh, kind of looking at it. Mm -hmm. uh, people will look at problems differently. So in the early phases, we'll do some things which are purely provocations, right, um, on product programs. And what I mean by that is we'll take an element where we may have some strength and we say, well, what if we designed the whole vehicle and its purpose for just this one element? Now, we would not ever create that product program but we're doing that to kind of over-index something, almost push it to the uh, extreme most uh, uh, perspective. And every time we've done that, we find an aha or an insight. And so what we say is we're going to take that and we're going to carry that with us to the next phase when we go do our next iteration. And so that, that is an example of something you can't do when you're actually trying to engineer the parts on a product program. Well, and I find it really interesting that you're putting out something or testing something with a consumer that you know you're not going to go. I mean, that's to me, I feel like that's opposite from what we've talked about with, with most product development wants to, to get close to what you want to offer before you show it. I think that's a really interesting approach. Yeah. I, in, when we first started this, uh, you know, as an engineer, I'm a trained engineer. I thought, well, what, what would a sacrificial prototype be? What would be the example? I was thinking, why would I do that? And we said, hey, let's just give it a try, because what we're trying to do is stretch our thinking, get out of this mode of thinking incrementally. It's mm -hmm. very easy to think about, how do I just make it a little bit better, and a little bit better, and a little bit better? Well, this is, we're looking for deeper insights. How do we do something different, differentiating? And uh, I, I've, been, I've been amazed. Every time we've done this, when we do these types of experiments, um, and we push the edge, we find something new. Uh, and it doesn't mean that the answer's there, but there's something that, like uh, we, we play the test with the team. We say, what do you love about this and what do you hate about it? So the stuff we hate, we're going to leave. We're going to bury it deeply. And the stuff we love, it, we just can't give it up. So let's think about how do we make the next iteration the, as we start to converge on uh, the actual ultimate proposition. How do we actually use that and say, we're going to bring it with us and we're going to figure out how to wire it in there because it's just too good to give up. When you say that, are you talking about exterior design? Or are you talking about, you know, inside screen size, cup holders? What exactly are you testing? It, it could it could be uh, any of that. Now, early on in the product program, um, uh, you don't necessarily have to lock in on the exterior theme, but we are making choices uh, around how do we pull off the flexible architecture uh, toolkit? Uh, how do we set up the basic proportions of a vehicle? So that has to be very well anchored in the needs of the customer. Um, you know, the use that the customer is going to have with the product. And that's where you can start to make a set of choices. Um, uh, you can also do this at the technology level, like what technology uh, and the way you actually display or deliver the technology is really going to be intuitive uh, and um, significant value add to the customer. And that's where you can test how would a customer react to these certain situations? What would they actually do? 
how are they actually consuming this information that you're actually displaying to a customer in a way that um, they naturally, intuitively take you know, the right action. And those are the things that we can use uh, and do very early on. Uh, we do it with like autonomous vehicle uh, uh, provocations. You know, what, in an autonomous environment, when we're there, what is a customer going to actually do? I think that's a really good question. Right? <laughs> uh, how are they going to actually reinvest that time? Because one of the real interesting uh, opportunities that uh, autonomy provides is it's effectively uh, giving a customer back time. So what are they going to do? And that's an area where there's a lot of learning that has to happen, incredible amount of insights, and something that doesn't really naturally exist today. So how do you go try to seek to understand where the opportunities lie? That's a good one for asking what a customer doesn't already know. They don't know what that's, that's going to yeah. be. And I feel like when we get to the point where they actually have the product to play with, that's as much research as we, as we can do. The consumer is going to do something we didn't even think of. Absolutely. It's going to come up in some other different space. Jim, at the beginning of the show, you said that you're taking your product lines and turning them into business units. This has got to be part of the process, too. Explain what you're doing differently there. Yeah. So, again, I think we, we still manage the business at the, through the individual regions. And so our, our role is really to optimize the enterprise. And um, each one of these vehicle line leaders, uh, these enterprise product line leaders, their role is to actually play in this now, near, and far time horizon. So when they're thinking about the business, they have to think about how are they actually performing in the market today? Does that actually require any incremental actions, right? If there's a, a significant competitive threat that's uh, entered the marketplace and we think it's going to have a material impact on the business, that requires us to do something. At the same time, uh, we have to establish kind of, I'll call it our longer term plan. You know, what, what's our competitive uh, activity and, and, and attack plan in the marketplace? So the cycle plan in the FAR. And how and when are we going to choose the appropriate investments to actually uh, cultivate and grow uh, that business, both from a profitability perspective and from a, a share perspective? So they have to think about that entirety of that time horizon uh, and ensure that we actually have a prosperous, growing business in the long run. So, and run it as a business? And run it as a business. P&L responsibility? Yep. We, each one of them has kind of a view of their income statement, and uh, they're developing, you know, every line item in that income statement. How do we actually attack it? How do we improve cost? How do we improve the yield? Uh, how do we improve the overall bottom line profitability in service of our, our regional activities? From my knowledge of the industry, that sounds revolutionary, <laughs> certainly within Ford. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest change really is that you don't have this series of orchestrated handoffs between the team that, that is actually trying to optimize and sell products today, uh, a group that's working on the next generation, and then a group that is actually spending time in the, uh, the far time horizon, like the longer term strategy. And you have to have that continuity. And I think that's where in our strongest products like F-Series, we've always naturally had that level of continuity. Sometimes because we had people who had longer tenure uh, over that time horizon. In other cases, uh, because it's, it's a giant business. We've spent the time making sure we don't have a high degree of changeover between those, those three different time horizons. And so we're just trying to wire all that, uh, th those products that are winning in the marketplace, the ones that have been so successful over time, and make sure wherever we uh, spend our time, energy, and, uh, and money that we're doing that in a way that's going to win with customers and grow the business. 
So where does that leave, this new process leave for it? Is it putting you ahead of the competition? Is it catching you up to where you should have been or what? Uh, well, I, I, Jim likes to use the expression of uh, we'd rather be um, land farther uh, than just be first, right? And so I think in some cases, there's probably elements we've done a little bit of catch up. In other cases, I think we've actually put ourselves in a position to really accelerate. And so the goal is actually to lead. Um, so we're, we're very excited about it. Uh, like I said, we've run these uh, beta tests or these prototypes in a couple of different areas. And so far, three or four different uh, kind of goes at this. Uh, every time we're seeing some of those benefits, the benefit of speed, uh, time to market, good choice making, uh, that we're going to end up with a much healthier portfolio and a better business. Jim, Stephanie mentioned something at the top of the show about building more derivatives. Uh, I think the utility space is a good uh, example of that. You're going to have off-road rugged utilities. You're going to have sportier ones, more maybe premium yeah. feeling ones. In terms of the customer, though, is there concern about cannibalization uh, more so or less so than in the past? It seems like for years, even with things like pickups, you uh, delayed the Ranger maybe for fear of taking away from F-150. Is that, has that changed? I think we're always looking to make sure that we've got the products positioned appropriately so that we're not having you know, two products fighting for the same customers. That, that's not going to be really good business. Uh, the way we think about the utility portfolio is um, there are different needs, uh, usage, but there's also different kind of like self-imagery, uh, how you project yourself, how you feel about the car. So you think of that off-road space, we're, in, we're incredibly successful with the, uh, the Raptor as an example uh, at the top of the heap and uh, our truck portfolio, which plays both in the work and the off-road space uh, between those two products. But now, I can't tell you how excited I am about Bronco. Uh, you know, one of our early um, beta tests was how do we do this upfront part of the program, and that's one that we, you know, we started with the Bronco, and uh, I can't wait to show everybody what this thing looks like. <laughs> we can't wait for everybody, you to show us. <laughs> everybody asks. I'm dying for the day for us to show it to you. Um, it's a it's a way for us to kind of uh, dive into that space, uh, uh, a segment uh, and probably a, a space that we initially started back in 1966 or 66, uh, and. Uh, we think that's going to open up a whole range of possibilities for us. But that is actually different than somebody that is looking in that social adventure space like an explorer and expedition. And there's also, uh, you know, a lot of customers that want a much more excel, uh, expressive product. So I think there's w needs. Uh, those needs drive, uh, you know, some of the uh, architecture and the overall, you know, size, shape, and silhouette of the vehicle. But then there's the imagery. Uh, and what is that imagery projecting about the individual customers? And you'll see customers that migrate to very different territories. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap this up. We're out of time. Fascinating discussion. Jim Bombeck, thanks so much for coming on. I think we've only scratched the surface. We're going to have to have you back again. I'd love to. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.